The eSeller Exchange provides key insights and learnings from influential stakeholders at and across the Amazon and e-commerce space with a UK and European focus. We'll be working to better understand what factors help to create an eSeller success. The podcast has been built to provide the listener strong takeaways, exploring key trends within the ecosystem and learning from the experiences of important players and top sellers alike. In this episode, we're joined by Malta Herisek, co-founder of SellerX. SellerX are a leading FBA brand acquirer and operator based out of Berlin. To date, they've raised over $118 million to buy and scale FBA brands globally. Previous to his chapter at SellerX, Malte saw two significant exits from e-commerce businesses that he set up. Notably, the largest fashion retailer in Latin America. Today, we're going to be discussing the FBA acquirer space, how to go about selling your Amazon business, and where the future lies for FBA sellers. Let's get into it then. So hi, Malte. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing great. Good, 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 good. So today we're obviously going to be talking a little bit about SellerX. You've not existed for so long yet, but I'm sure your journey has got a lot to come. Um, yeah, it'd be good if you could just introduce yourself quickly, introduce your role within SellerX, what you focus on, and maybe SellerX in a bit of detail as well. Perfect. Yeah, maybe um, quickly a little bit about my, my background. So, so I'm, I'm German, um, started my career uh, in Germany at, at Siemens, so more the corporate world. I uh, did that for seven years and I did an MBA um, at Harvard Business School. That's where uh, I met my co-founder, Philip Trevel. Uh, so we've been very good friends and looked at a, a few, few investments together um, already before uh, we, we, we partnered up. Uh, for, for SellerX, uh, but then, so I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. So after the, the MBA um, after in 2010, um, I went down to Brazil um, to co-found Dafici, which today is the, the largest uh, fashion and lifestyle e-commerce platform in Latin America, um, in Brazil, Argentina, Chile, and Colombia. Um, that was an amazing journey. Um, the, we grew the company to over a billion dollars in sales, as profitable, 3,500 employees. So. That was just a great experience from four people in the hotel room <laughs> to, oh, wow. to building all of that. And uh, so I was the chief commercial officer there, um, basically taking care of portfolio planning, uh, purchasing inbound uh, supply chain, inventory management and pricing, kind of the core um, commercial aspect and basically build it from reselling brands, uh, fashion brands to launching our private labels and becoming a marketplace ourselves. So uh, over a third of our sales were uh, done by, by marketplace sellers. So. Uh, that was kind of the, the platform side of us dealing dealing with sellers and you know what amazon is doing uh, with us today uh, understanding where they put you in the algorithm you know and how to increase the listing so we kind of saw the other side so that was super interesting and did that for for seven years and then actually i wanted to go back to to europe but uh, after a small sabbatical found myself back in sao paulo it's it's, it's beautiful there mm -hmm. and uh, wanted to do yeah, something more bootstrapped, not something that big and invest my own money and uh, became a seller actually so i uh, started selling fashion uh, furniture and decoration uh, articles on the five big uh, marketplaces in, in Amazon. So grew very quickly at a team of 15 people and you know did everything from dropshipping, cross-stocking, own stock. Unfortunately, Amazon FBA was not launched yet in Brazil. Mm -hmm. That uh, makes things much, much easier. Um, and then in parallel, I bought, uh, I acquired a brand, which is a, um, a beauty brand called Jeffra, 
there wasn't a turnaround situation. So I thought it's really interesting to take something over that's not doing well, uh, kind of burning half a million every every month. And then uh, <laughs> I, I acquired it with a business partner and turned it around successfully. Yeah, and then COVID hit and uh, I said, look, I'm not going to sit this out in Brazil, maybe. Uh, it's time to, to go uh, back to Germany, be close to the family. And uh, yeah, Philip was in a similar situation. And as I have the, the e-commerce background, he has a very complimentary one, um, more from the finance side. So he worked at Goldman Sachs before the MBA, uh, founded himself uh, a company uh, five to six years. And then um, after that, did a few roll-ups where you acquire smaller smaller players and uh, consolidate them. So thought as a perfect, perfect partner for, for this venture. And uh, yeah, we started Seller Sorex together. Um, and obviously, um, you know, given his background, he's more on the investment side, kind of looking at uh, potential targets uh, that we can acquire. And then once we, we do acquire them, then I'm taking care of uh, operations and technology um, to make sure we, we have everything we need to, to grow them and, and drive the efficiencies. And yeah, on our vision to yeah really have a, a global portfolio of direct consumer brands. That's what we want to build. And um, obviously, uh, this big trend right now starts on Amazon, Amazon FBA um, specifically. But we really um, you know want to build on, on top of that also a presence in, in other channels, uh, especially on your own website. You really own the customer and create a great brand experience for for them. Okay, thank you, thank you for that. It was a really interesting introduction. Um, so this is going to go out to most of our sellers who are obviously entrepreneurs themselves. Before we go any further, it'd be good to understand a little bit about your journey. We've obviously spoken about it. What would you say the key things are that made you successful in your journey to go on these two excursions and really do well out of them? What, what, what is it in your mindset or in your day to day that really allowed you to, to be successful in the way you have been? Yeah, uh, great, great question and a, and a difficult one. I guess it's it's very broad. But um, so let's let's maybe um, you know start with the the Fitchy experience, uh, the platform that that we we've built in, in Latin America. So I think I think it's really interesting to first understand what you like. Try to be neutral about what you what you know well and what you don't know so well. And uh, you know, I mean, look, me, I haven't uh, really worked in sourcing in the, the commercial department, uh, especially not in fashion, um, especially not with women's shoes and uh, also not speaking Portuguese, right? So if you if you think about if I was the right co-founder, uh, you know, from, from, from the get-go, um, that, that, that wouldn't have checked all of the boxes I think that you need. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, so I said, okay, look, I, in the end, what we need to do is we need, I need to build a team uh, that knows all of those things. And and, and really trying to be strategic and understand what, what we need in each phase of, of a startup. And uh, it all, you know, raises and falls, uh, rises and falls with, with the team to, to get the right people on board at the right time, uh, because they are building your processes, they are building your team, uh, the team you're hiring and, and training the, the additional team that you recruit. So um, really, really being very aware of what you already know, what you don't know, where you know your, your team uh, can, can help you uh, get to where, where you need to go. So I think that's that's really, really, really important to, to fill the gaps and you don't need to fill all of them yourself. So, um, you know, and either put a process in place, a tool in place or a team in place. So I think that's, that's number one. Number two is I think really understand what are the main business drivers, right? Because there's lots of noise. Um, and so for example, for, for Dafici, um, it was, uh, it's, it's kind of an e-commerce platform that sells all the brands, right? And uh, it's kind of like an Amazon for fashion. It's like a Zalando. Um, 
So what really is important on, on an e-commerce website is selection, right? So you, you, you know, if you, if you are um, selling fashion brands and you don't have Tommy Hilfiger or you're selling sports brands and you do not carry Nike, your conversion automatically uh, goes down for people that are looking for running shoes, right? So if, you, if you're lacking Nike, it's 30% of the portfolio. So it's really about having the right selection, um, getting the main brands in, but also have a really interesting long tail because that's, that selection drives conversion. With better conversion, you get more traffic. With more traffic, you can increase your selection because you, know, you need a minimum uh, amount to be sold to, to be able to acquire, to have a, an SKU in your, in your, in your portfolio. So, so I think that's really the, 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 main, the main driver to, to set a platform up like that and, and really try to focus on, on, on getting that rolling, which in Amazon is called the flywheel, right? The Amazon flywheel yeah. effect, um, which you can boost uh, a lot with marketplace, right? That's why also, the, the whole marketplace uh, movement has been, I, Amazon has identified that very early on and as a marketplace a bet on it uh, and you, you've, you've seen the effects of it. So, so I think that's from a pitch experience. Um, from, from a seller um, experience, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's, it's easy to try to do shortcuts and uh, you're hearing kind of stories of quick successes left and right. And, you know, for example, you know, price arbitrage through drop shipping, and you know that's great, but it's only great until this arbitrage is there, and then if the prices are kind of uh, getting closer, then you know that whole business is gone. So I think this whole question about like how sustainable, how durable uh, is it that I'm doing, and and this could also, I mean, obviously the the drop shipping arbitrage is one. That is kind of the other one would be uh, kind of reselling products that other people are selling mm -hmm. and fighting for a buy box, right? So. Uh, which, I, which I've also done in, in Brazil. And uh, even though margins might be good at the beginning, at some point, it's a perfect market. And, you know, the one who is pricing one cent below is, is winning the buy box 90% of the traffic. So uh, that's not very sustainable. So, so really understanding. So what is kind of the long lasting thing that I'm building? And, um, you know, on, on Amazon, it is obviously be the owner of your own brand, um, you know, so that is that you're not competing directly on, on the buy box. And, uh, I believe um, the real long, long-lasting differentiator on Amazon is the your review mode, right? Building the right review reviews with a with a good score, uh, and that you can't really do without a good product. So, um, yeah. you know, so basically that's that's boiling it down. So to to really okay, what do I need to to be successful on Amazon uh, in, in in the long term? Yeah, yeah, interesting. So going back to your relationship with with Philip. So he comes from the investment side. You come from the kind of marketplace side. Uh, in your day-to-day -day job roles, is that your focus or does it get to a level where you're both co-founders that you're simply helping to manage the people beneath you? Yeah, so um, we, we have quite a, quite a big team, even though we are a young, a young company. Um, so we, including the, the employees that we took over from the portfolio companies that we bought, we had around 200 people right now. So it's a, it's a rather large organization uh, already, um, <laughs> kind of from, from startup to scale-up, uh, so, uh, but on the other hand, eight months ago, it was just a handful, handful of people, right? So we are, we're, we're doing that. Uh, we're in this, in this crazy acceleration. Um, so the, the answer is right now it's, we're kind of acting as co-CEOs, I would say. Um, yeah. and, uh, and Philip is, is taking care of the whole investment, uh, arm, which is basically, uh, three, three main parts. One is kind of the lead generation, right? Um, starting to talk to the seller and all of the channels so either on our websites so when when they, when they found us and you kind of fill out the template there or us doing the outreach um trying to identify the seller that we want to purchase or via broker channels so those are kind of the main the main things how, how people get in touch 
then uh, once we get in touch and the seller says, hey, you know, here are my numbers, uh, I want evaluation, um, then basically the, the acquisitions team is taking over that does all of the uh, scorecards. So like we build a scorecard for each of the sellers in terms of how's the market growing, is the niche growing, how, what's competition, looking at the SPUs, what's the, the health uh, in terms of ratings, uh, the, the review velocity, stuff like that, right? So we, yeah. we basically uh, analyze all of the sellers and then um, if we agree on a price, we submit an LOI and uh, we're pretty quick in our analysis. It's very standardized um, with the tools that we've, that we've built. Um, and if we agree on an LOI, then uh, typically we have a 30-day due diligence period. That's the third part of uh, the investment team where we try to confirm the numbers that uh, we've, we've seen in the commercial due diligence and the financial due diligence kind of going through receipts and stuff like that. Just kind of confirming that all the numbers are, are what, uh, what they're supposed to be. And then uh, if everything uh, works out, then in parallel, we've already drafted the, the contracts and, uh, and, and are signing them. The fastest deal that we've done was kind of in 12 days. It was kind of only three SKUs and an asset deal that's faster than if you have like 100 SKUs and a shared deal where you take over the whole legal entity. So there's like some, some ranges and complexities. That's where then uh, Philip's um, uh, responsibility basically ends and it goes into operations. And there we have kind of two main teams. One is the, the onboarding team. Um, that's kind of taking over and trying to plug uh, the, the new sellers uh, most efficiently into our processes, systems, and also already starts attacking low-hanging fruits if there are uh, some. And then once once that is done, uh, that's, a, that's a period of around two months, um, then just transitioning into, into brand management. Um, so for us, it's super important that you have one brand manager looking, looking over your, uh, looking after your, your, uh, your brand uh, that is accountable from A to Z. Um, and so that's kind of the brand manager. And then we have a, a matrix structure with what I call internal agencies um, that, you, that you then use um, to, uh, for all of the main business functions, for example, for content, right? So you say, oh, I would like to improve those five listed listings. So we have a head of content with photographers, videographers, graphic designers, and copywriters that then you know, turn those, uh, deliver those five listings back. And then you have a quality check if you like them or not. Same for performance marketing, same for supply chain, same for customer service and review management. So, so we have a quite agile um, way of, of working, but with very clear responsibilities. So um, that's basically what we're, what we're doing on the operational front. And then I'm taking care uh, of, of the tech de uh, development as well. Um, you know, kind of ERP and everything that's uh, all of the, the systems that we need. And at the same time, also the intelligence for uh, yeah, smarter uh, marketing optimization, pricing, et cetera, that, that we're building in-house as well. Oh, very interesting. It's very interesting to see how the business has scaled from <laughs> zero to 200 pretty much in, in just over eight months. Um, how, how do you go about that? <laughs> it must be quite a difficult process, right? It, it, is, uh, it is a lot of fun, first of all. It's very, very mm -hmm. exciting. And to, to be honest, I mean, I've, I've seen it back then at Afici. That was 10 years ago. So the first thing that you recognize, you're 10 years older. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so, so that's, that's kind of good, but at the same time, uh, in those 10, 10 years, you also made lots of experience. So, um, a few, a few mistakes that you did back then you, you can probably avoid now, but it's, it's just crazy. The, the hyper growth, I think, um, one big difference that we are seeing, um, or, or that me, I'm personally experiences, uh, uh, experiencing is in Brazil, uh, notice periods are kind of two weeks maximum. And, you know, here in Europe, it's around three months. So. 
Um, you know, even if you hire someone today, he's only gonna or she uh, is only gonna um, arrive uh, at, at onboard Celerex in three months from now, and then you have kind of a learning curve. So you kind of need to hire the organization. We we will be in five months from now already right now. So so yeah. that's kind of a little bit of a stretch. Obviously, there are some growing pains uh, coming with that. Obviously, right, building building out those teams fully fledged. So. Uh, because yeah, that's that's kind of the the, the main focus. But um, as I as I told you, so we are two hundred people right now already. So we're doing great progress and trying to overhire um, and not mm-hmm. uh, you know we always have ten percent of people too many than than ten percent too 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 few. Yeah. Um, so that's the the mode we're trying trying to get into. And um, yeah, it's definitely very very exciting and, and a very fast moving pace and very dynamic environment. Yes. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then you've got COVID thrown in there and everyone working working remotely. Um, how do you keep the kind of the culture there or how do you build a culture just out of interest? Yeah, that's a very good question. And that's, I think, one of the, the challenges. Um, yeah, I haven't also been used to, uh, I think, you know, re- working remotely. I think we all got to, we all learned how to do it, right? Uh, I think before yeah. COVID, there was always like, yeah, a few functions were allowed to do it, but People kind of uh, were always suspicious if people are really working at home or not. I think we, the good thing about COVID is that, that it lasts so long is it was not just a month or two and then people go back to normal. So I think we really learned it and we really learned that people are contributing and actually in many cases are working probably more <laughs> than, than, uh, than, than before. Um, so I think that's kind of the good thing. The other, the, the bad thing, or like, I think the challenge that, that we are facing is hiring so many people and really literally having almost no one in the office right now, uh, many people we just haven't met. And then building a culture and, and a team is obviously a little bit more of a challenge. So what we're trying to do is, um, so we're doing all hands meetings every three weeks, um, you know, where we as a founders um, speak to everyone uh, because then information doesn't get lost talking, you know, uh, yeah. through, through the leadership. Um, and we also have an open question and answer channel and uh yeah trying trying to um keep that as transparent as possible and yeah now preparing for um offices opening up again because yeah, i guess in a, in a month or two um things will go pretty back pretty much back to normal in the, in the office space and then um try to catch up with um with what we what we what we couldn't do um in, in the meanwhile and really get to know everyone on a personal level because it's very difficult to to really replace that personal feeling and, 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 and touch is in a teamwork kind of, I call it also whiteboarding. Uh, lots of, lots of problems are usually solved in a room with a whiteboard and, and, you know, getting things done and quick decision-making is, uh, is much more efficient. Um, if you, if you have physical presence, so looking forward to that. Um, yeah, but basically trying to be as transparent as possible in all hands meetings is, uh, one of the best instruments that, that we've found so far. Yeah, it's interesting. And you've obviously been there before and, and done it to the same extent in the previous businesses you scaled up. So it's good to get your insight there. Um, I guess before we go any further, it would be good. Um, we haven't really gone over it yet, but it'd be good to cover the aggregator space and this roll up movement. Some people might not be aware who are listening. So yeah, if you could just go into a bit of detail on that and explain exactly what's happening and why it's happening now. Uh, and what the opportunity is for guys like yourself? Yeah, so um, interesting, interesting question. Let let me try to be comprehensive. <laughs> um, so I think so. The space is not; uh, it's it's quite old actually, right? So uh, also, especially if you if you look at the broker space, um, they've been around for for many many years. And typically, this all started where sellers bought other sellers on Amazon. 
um, and they they call it they call it more like flipping them, right? So if you identify a seller that is maybe a little bit mismanaged, you buy them and then um, you know apply all of your knowledge and then try to resell them uh, at, a, at a higher price because now you grew them, whatever, uh, 50%, 100% and increased profitability. So that was a market that has been going on for many years, I would say uh, almost 10 years or so um, that started in, in, in the US. And then that, was, that market was discovered um, you know, by, by companies to make that more, more professional right? and, and, and try to scale this. Um, and uh, because I think there, there are, especially in the Amazon FBA uh, space, there, the FBA is the very attractive part of it, uh, fulfillment by Amazon, um, because everyone who has built an e-commerce company knows that operational excellence is the difficult thing to build. Um, you know, and if that is taken out of the equation and being taken over by Amazon, it's, it's a huge part, right? And especially if you now think about, thinking about consolidating companies Imagine those were like 20 e-commerce companies with 20 warehouses doing the fulfillment to the end consumer. And now you would have to consolidate all of that. That is a completely different challenge than consolidating 20 FBA businesses where uh, you're basically consolidating the Amazon uh, set of central accounts, the inventory that is there, maybe with a 3PL, take over the supplier relationship and um, you know, maybe the team that, that, that is there. So it's, it's much lighter and, and easier uh, to, to consolidate without the logistics. The second, uh, I think, big, um, you know, big, big advantage is that through FBA, if a transporter is late, <laughs> it's Amazon's transporter and you don't get penalized for it, right? So your account health is not really suffering from it. So uh, the, the main assets that we are buying uh, is basically you know, category winning listings that have a very strong review mode or review advantage over, over other um, SQUs or at least playing kind of in the first tier with good ratings. So um, we, we always want to make sure that we will be able to grow those ratings and those ratings are not endangered, right? So the FBA is obviously a part of that, that as well, that, that you're kind of safe uh, at, the, at, the, at the beginning. So that's, I think, why, why the space um, is super interesting. Obviously, um, I think why why is that a space that has been discovered a bit later? Because uh, in the end, you don't own the customer, right? So um, you know you are a merchant on Amazon, you are a seller on Amazon. Um, you you do uh, have to carry all of the uh, working capital investments, which with Asia Asia sourcing is we're talking sixty to ninety days lead times plus a six month coverage uh, or something like that. It is it is a substantial investment. Um, and uh, so, so in the end, you don't own the you don't own the customer, right? So the, there was always the question about the sustainability uh, of that. Like, what are you really purchasing when you're purchasing a seller? Um, and I think um, in in the in the Amazon environment right now, it became clear that um, if you if you purchase listings that do have the review advantage and great ratings, that is something that is differentiating you from all of the other that that are looking like commoditized products in the same space uh, from, from, from competition. And the algorithm is kind of, the, the Amazon algorithm is kind of uh, giving you that uh, su sustainable uh, ranking um, within their search engine. Because in the end, Amazon is a, is a product search engine and, and we, are, we are acquiring the, the listing space in that, in that uh, search engine. Um, so I think that's, that's, people understood that and that there, are, there is some sustainability, even though you do not, uh, do not own the um, do not own the um, the customer, and then at the same time, um, what we've also seen there's I mean there's a lot of uh, burden on the sellers, especially on terms of cash flow, right? So even though you, you see great margins uh, with a certain growth rate and the high working capital need, 
those this cash is always reinvested, right? So it's not like you can you can take that out, um, you know. So and then you're basically stuck in that in that circle. And also, you we see that sellers are thinking twice, three times, four times before they're hiring someone, right? So. Yeah. Uh, I mean, VAs is, you know, virtual assistants is something to get, get over it, but then, you know, you get a certain quality of employees. So you're not really able to invest in the Amazon PPC guru, the supply chain person, the best, uh, you know, content. And then, and, and that is basically, and this is nothing against, against the seller. It's just impossible to be great and amazing at all of that as a single person and uh, with a few, a few VAs. So, and that's, I think where the opportunity also lies for, for us to get in and uh, try to, with our more professional structure, um, attack all of those those things. And and, and look, that, that doesn't mean that, um, I mean, we've seen a spectrum of sellers that are highly professional where there's very little, few things to, to be optimized. And there's a few where there's very, very low hanging fruits uh, where maybe the PAT campaigns haven't been updated for 12 months, right? Where you advertise on your, mm. uh, on your competitor's product. So you see kind of a little bit of, of, of everything. And, um, but those, improvement potentials that, that we see they are real uh, and um, so I think that's why everyone is so excited about it that you can consolidate a space relatively quickly because as FBA uh, improvement potentials can be realized with organic growth um, and and that that's and that this has sustainability on the Amazon platform given uh, the review modes that we're investing in and um, yeah and then obviously that paired with a vision um, that we especially as seller X have, um, to build direct to consumer brands out of those assets, um, also outside of Amazon in your own channel, that is kind of the the extra um, the extra kicker that makes everyone excited. Because um, I'm always saying today we're talking a lot about seller and products, and uh, tomorrow we will talk a lot about customers. Um, yeah, which we are not today because we're not owning them, but that's where we want to want to go to. Okay, okay. Um, so, what kind of sellers are you actually going for? Then are you going for the ones that you can optimize are you going for the top sellers or, or maybe a combination of both just to get an understanding there it's a combination of both um so we we, we obviously we love um category leading products with great review modes um question is if you're in the us and you're number one <laughs> in, a, in a big category so basically you're growing your only growth in that category in the US is maybe through other keywords or something or just with the market, right? So it's, um, you know, on, on Amazon, it's, 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 it's certain limitation, even though, you know, uh, e-commerce is growing, Amazon is growing, marketplace is growing, and depending on the category, the growth might be enough um, to, to be attractive. Um, but that's why we're also looking a little bit beyond um, just the Amazon optimizations. We're also looking, I mean, first of all, within Amazon regional expansion. So, you know, can we bring that product to the to Europe or the other or vice versa? So 50% of our acquisitions are in the US and 50% in Europe. And, um, you know, can we can we launch uh, products in, in the other markets? So that's one one big driver. The third one is obviously uh, product launches where um, you know, usually uh, the sellers have, have a pipeline of things that they wanted to launch. And usually we help them launch them uh, after we took over. And then also um, we're really looking into launching more variants because that's the main conversion driver and also gives you lots of efficiencies in offense and defense campaigns uh, in, in terms of marketing. So, so that's something that we're, that we're attacking. And then the fourth one is kind of channel expansion where you go to other marketplaces and, um, and try to grow your own website. So, um, now, if you talk about improvement potential, they can be along all of those lines, right? Really just operational efficiencies, avoid stockouts, make pricing and marketing better, 
or any of the other three that I just mentioned, region expansions, more products and, and channels. And you know, the, the sellers that we're looking at there, they have different potential uh, in, in each of those. And um, usually not all of them are, are maxed out. So it's, it's really an individual approach and we, we don't have just this one view, oh, if it doesn't fulfill that criteria, it's not, not interesting. So, but in the end it's, it's, it's a mix, yeah. Cool, interesting. So you've mentioned that you're taking these Amazon brands and part of what you're looking to do is take them off Amazon and, and expand them to different verticals, marketplaces, maybe their own website. What's Amazon's opinion of that just out of interest? Yeah, um, good, good question. So, <laughs> so I think also maybe two, two steps back, we basically what one thing that we, Philip and I um, thought about a lot before starting Celerex is, uh, you know, there is the certain Amazon dependency. Um, so you kind of got to be, you, you got to be kind of comfortable with that uh, in the first place. Um, the dependency selling on Amazon. And then the second one is uh, if you, if you want to branch out off Amazon, so how, how does that uh, change? So the first one, so what we believe is look, Amazon wants happy clients, right? So um, that's the, the they're, I think, one of the most customer centric organizations. And they're happy in Amazon perspective if they have great products at the best prices and with an amazing experience on the way, right? So we are buying by definition the best products, um, looking for the best reviews and, and review modes. Usually they are the price leader on the mid price range. Um, so great prices for sure. And the experience is controlled by Amazon with FBA. So uh, if Amazon uh, is sending drones at some point, we will be in those drones, right, with our product. So I think we are, we are fully aligned with, with, with Amazon um, also in the, in the long term. Uh, also, I think what we, what we help do, Amazon do is kind of bring more consistency in their portfolio because there is kind of, you know, the, the Amazon flywheel effect of more portfolio. But let's say you have 100, um, I don't know, T-shirts and you add 100. So, okay, there's really a great portfolio effect. But if you have 1 million and now you add another 100 to the 1 million, there's kind of a decreasing incremental benefit to that. And, um, and at some point, it may be even disturbing to have like this, you know, thousands of, of choices um, with maybe not vetted uh, sellers in terms of quality and health. So by consolidating that a little bit, I think we, we're also doing Amazon actually a favor, you know, getting pictures, texts, A plus content, you know, all of that to, to, to another, to another level. Um, so, so I think we're, we're relying on that. And then outside of Amazon, um, I think that's, that's, that's a very good point, but I think um, Amazon, Amazon wants uh, to get traffic from the outside as well. Right. Um, and, and Amazon will also always lose some traffic to the outside. I think it's a, it's a given, it's a given take. So uh, also what, what I believe is that the best traffic that you can bring to Amazon is traffic that spills over from your website uh, for people that just want the Amazon convenience. They don't want to register at another website and you know, let's just like buy it over there. I have my account. Um, and that works the other way around, obviously, uh, where people are checking your website out and, and see if there's any other, other content. So I think this is, this is happening anyways. Um, and it's also not in a way where we say, hey, this will cannibalize the Amazon customer. I think those are two, two consumers um, you know, that many of them just use Amazon as the product search engine right now, and they don't really care uh, about the, the, the other side. And, um, you know, your, your web presence as a, as a brand, um, I think, is, is another consumer that is ready to, to sign up for something else. Um, and then I eventually maybe even can become uh, an Amazon consumer in the, in, in the future. So I think it's, it's a give and take. And uh, I think Amazon is actually wants to have more kind of brands on their platform instead of kind of those white labeled uh, products uh, feeling, right? So um, brands that um, 
you know, tell a story and have a certain quality of content. Um, and and I think that that argument is bigger than um, you know the 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 amount of of traffic you're you're taking away from from Amazon, which I think is more like incremental rather than a cannibalization, to be honest. Some really good points raised there. Some really good points. So up till now, Amazon's been completely dominated mostly by micro sellers. So small, a lot of smaller sellers who have made it the marketplaces today. Um, some are larger than others and some are grown to be larger than others, but typically that's how it's set out. Where do you see that going, say, two, five years, 10 years from now? Do you think the whole market will be a business like yourself who are operating the space or do you think there will still be those micro sellers? It'll be interesting to get your point there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit the Pareto, uh, the 80-20 principle, I think. You know, you have 20% of the the ASINs or SQs on Amazon. Um, you know, will will do 80% of the revenue, I would say, and and that's I think where lots of consolidation will happen. Um, you know, because we are looking at the, the the criteria that that I that I mentioned that we want kind of the category leaders. We want the ones with the review modes. That also means that you know, if you're a smaller seller um, and kind of our threshold is kind of net sales above 1 million, that's what, what we're looking at, um, or contribution margin of 200,000 uh, and, and more. Um, so that's kind of the, the threshold. We, are, some, we do some exceptions uh, where we go lower, but um, the, the, the majority of the sellers are, are on, the, on the lower end, right? Uh, and why um, do we have that threshold? I mean, one, obviously, the cost of a transaction and all of the due diligence and all the work that we put into all of that, it needs to have a certain size. Uh, but the second thing is also, if you don't have that volume, it's very difficult for you to, to build up the review mode, right? So you need to have a certain sales to collect those reviews. You need to have a certain track record. Um, and, and so that's that's important. So I guess on everything that is above a million in sales, there will be a very high degree in consolidation um, because we're, we're not going to stop <laughs> uh, anytime soon uh, acquiring acquiring more, more sellers if they, if they fit our, our criteria. We, we believe that we, we can grow, uh, turn them into brands and grow it. Um, but then in the long tail where you say, okay, you have maybe 20 reviews, 50 reviews, not really making the point to defend it. This could be, could be a lucrative business for the seller, right? Um, it doesn't mean that this is this, but this is something that will, uh, I think where it will stop a little bit and rather, you would rather watch, okay, who will make it into the, into the 1 million bracket and then be bought yeah. uh, rather than really going, going all of the way. So I think. 80% of the SDs will do 20% of the, the revenue. Those will kind of be the long long tail in the marketplace and they will definitely be the, the micro, the smaller micro sellers uh, going to remain there. Uh, and do you think there's room for all of you guys to, to win in the space? There's obviously a lot of sellers that fit that category, but it'd be interesting to hear your point. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was the after the Amazon dependency, the second question <laughs> that uh, Philip and I asked ourselves, um, like how, how big is the market? And so what from, from our analysis, I mean, there's around 2 million active sellers. I mean, it's changing a lot through COVID more coming in. 1 million coming in every year, 1 million turning. So, uh, and those are typically a high overlap of the same sellers that are getting in and, and, and out again. So the, the, the older ones are getting stronger and stronger. So they're, they're fortifying the, 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 the position. But then if you look at our criteria um, above 1 million in terms of net sales and kind of uh, looking at certain profitability metrics and reviews and uh, quite health um, quality of the, of the reviews and, and the count up, 
uh, I believe it's uh, you know it's also changing, but it's probably twenty to thirty thousand uh, sellers that are that are out there. Um, you know that that are potential targets, and you kind of need to see who's kind of just reselling products and doesn't have their own brand, or um, you know. Uh, so there there are some some exclusions that you need to make, but I think there's probably around twenty thousand great sellers to be acquired, and um, you know looking. At, uh, so we, we've acquired uh, more than 20 right now and uh, you know our kind of three digit million uh, net sales company already um, you know so you don't need to acquire a thousand to to be really big right so if you get to 100 200 300 um, you know that that is a really a big company already um, so so I think yeah there's, there's lots of space and um, you know even though there's many 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 companies in this space we uh, we, we just focus on ourselves, try to focus on execution and make the best out of, out of the portfolio um, that, that, that we acquire. And um, yeah, that, uh, the, the space is huge. Yeah, yeah. It's a massive marketplace. It's ridiculous how big it is, to be honest with you. Yeah. So that gives a good overview of you guys, of the space you operate in. Say I'm one of these million dollar Amazon um, clients who has who you've got the potential to take over if i decide that i want to sell what actually what steps actually happen what what's the the timeline of events that takes place for me to sell my business to you guys and what what does that look like yeah first of all get in touch sellerx.com <laughs> um and we, we have a, the website up in, in many languages um you know so if you're not a native english speaker you can also reach out and we have lots of uh, native speakers in the investment team um to accommodate everyone um and then so basically the the, the profile of most of the sellers that we're seeing is the majority is Amazon. Uh, then maybe there's some some eBay, some Shopify, etc. But but basically we need to to see the numbers, right? To to understand um, to to be able to evaluate uh, the company with the with the internal information to look at net sales per SKU, the the margins per SKU, and, and all of that. So um, basically, that can be downloads either from Central. Um, you can also just give us access to it if you if you want to. If you don't want to, no problem. You can also Connect through, uh, you know, tools like Sellerboard, um, Hello Profit, what the likes, right, and get, give us those 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 standardized reports. So we we have the numbers and can do the analysis. And then we're rather quick. So if it's very urgent, we can turn around an offer in 24 hours. Uh, if we have more time, it, it takes us two or three days, um, you know, to 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 come back uh, to you with uh, with an offer. So that's that's a, a rather quick process. Um, because we kind of optimize uh, most of the analysis, the internal one based on your numbers, but then also kind of uh, all of the scraping solutions that are out there to uh, evaluate very quickly the, the market niche, the competitors, uh, price levels, review modes, and compare all of that to, to the peers. So that's fairly fairly optimized um, and we, we're very quick there. And then if we get to an agreement, then um, yeah, the due diligence phase is starting. And um, you know, depending, we're very flexible on, on the deals. So we can do asset deals, we can do share deals um, because that's very important depending on where you live uh, or where your business is based. Uh, it has some quite some tax implications, right? For example, um, in, in Germany and UK, um, kind of a share deal over an asset deal gives you 20 percentage points advantage in, in income tax, right? So that's kind of a big deal and, and we're very flexible there. Uh, obviously, if you do a share deal, you need to do a little bit more due diligence than if it's just an asset deal. Um, so, so, but that is a process that doesn't take longer than 30 days normally um, and can be yeah, as quick as two weeks. Um, confirming basically the numbers in parallel, we're drafting the, um, the share purchase agreements. 
um, and then you know have an execution date and uh, and it's done. And uh, yeah, then the onboarding the onboarding session starts where we focus a lot on really understanding the business in all of the details. So we we don't have the approach. We turn around. We know everything better. Not at all, right? So it's a two two month um, uh, two month transition period. Because especially, um, you know, all of the Amazon, uh, the Amazon things uh, we know very well. Uh, but then, you know, you're the project, the product specialist usually, right? You you know who's exactly your main competitor, how they try to attack you, how you attack them, what worked, what didn't work. You want to hear the war stories, and you own the supplier relationship. And many times over three, four years, so there's also nothing that we take for granted. So we really uh, want to take time in uh, becoming, you know, that that product niche profi, uh, pro that you are, and then also. Make make sure that we are taking the, the supplier relationship uh, over in a in, in a smooth in a smooth manner. So um, yeah, and many many times. Um, so then we are very flexible also with the involvement of the seller. So some say, you know what? After that onboarding phase, I, I just want to get out and enjoy a few days at the beach or whatever your dream is, or, or do the next uh, start the next company. Many people actually are doing that. Many sellers are doing that. Um, or say, you know what, um, I would love to be strategically involved for the next 12 months. And that's actually 90% of the sellers are strategically involved. So all of the operational burden and hustle is gone, but like, hey, I wanted to launch this product or, you know, I have a, an opinion about uh, how to launch that in a certain, on, the, on, on the website because I understand the DNA of the brand and kind of want that conveyed. So we are um, then involving the seller in, uh, you know, in, in all of those uh, more strategic uh, things, which is super welcome. Um, and that's also actually why we called SellerX. We basically, when Philip and I uh, sat down at the beginning, we said like, look, we want people to have a great seller experience selling to us. Because um, it's the first time probably for, for most of uh, them to, to sell a business. And um, so there's lots of uh, yeah, education going on, like how are things done? And, uh, and I think we are, we are proud to be, have a relatively tailored approach to the seller's needs and situation. And, uh, not have very standardized it's either that or nothing uh, approach but really try to try to hear to uh, listen to the circumstance and try to tell it tell it approach how to how to get all of this done i like it i like the bit about the strategic side as well i mean a lot of sellers like you alluded to before probably are in a situation where they've got so much going on that they can't clear the fog and really concentrate on what they want to concentrate on so doing that they effectively have that year where they can do what they actually want to do with the business and grow it in the way they want to, I guess. Um, how would they, what's the deal structure there? How would they be paid for that? Would you pay them half the amount at the start, half the amount after? It's just interesting to hear that. Yeah, so um, I think in, in general, the the purchase price negotiation is very individual. Um, so, and but basically, usually it's, it's three components. It's like an upfront payment that you receive right away after, after signing the, the contract. And then um, usually you have kind of a deferred payment that comes after 12 months. Um, it depends how it's structured. You could also call it a stability payment because we say like, okay, if revenue go down by 50% through whatever, uh, you know, then then uh, that that payment uh, will be will be discounted or something like that, right? So that's kind of a stability part uh, because if that happened to you, also the business wouldn't be worth as much. So just align the incentive. And then there's an extra booster on top of that where we say, look, if we grow the business uh, over the, the last 12 months that we took as a, as a valuation period, um, then there's kind of an earnout where we say, hey, we share a certain portion of the, the contribution margin that we're generating with you, right? So we kind of have a, a natural incentive. And then if it's just like a very like loose strategic involvement, you know, oh, once every month we have a call or like, you know, we kind of inform you 
uh, before we have a big decision and want to hear your standpoint, I mean, then that's kind of included. If you say, no, I want to really be actively involved and have a certain amount of hours uh, per week um, that I want to want to invest in this, then we can also find other arrangements where, um, you know, we, we kind of have something like consulting uh, on, on, on top of it. Yeah. Um, but we're, again, we're very, very flexible. Some sellers also say, I don't value any earnout or anything, just what, <laughs> what I have in my pocket. But then, okay, we, we, can, we can accommodate for that. But then obviously the price will be lower. Um, you know, and some are super bullish about the business and they say, I actually want to uh, be strategically involved for two years. I want to see this grow, so many ideas and then take more of a risk approach. And then, you know, they, they can, a lot of money can be made uh, also in during that, that earnout phase uh, on, on top of it. So uh, a tailored approach to, whatever uh, the preferences are. Yeah, it's nice to to know that. When I was looking at it before this conversation, I always assumed that you give them the cash, they see wave them to the sunset and they, they're gone. But it's nice to know the sellers do have options. So maybe yeah. they want the cash, they can invest in another project, like you say. Maybe they want to be consultative or maybe they want to be really involved with it for the next couple of years. Um, yeah. yeah, really interesting. So and what, we, what we've seen, what, we, what we've seen also is a little bit. Um, I, th I think there's two effects, right? One is, wow, finally the payoff, right? Because you always have to reinvest the cash, so that's just great. Um, you know, taking some chips off the table. Uh, the second one is, okay, now what can I do with this money, right? Either fulfilling certain dreams or starting the new businesses. And funnily enough, many start the next businesses because the dream of staying at the beach forever is only good for three months or so, <laughs> and it gets a bit boring. I mean, you've been there um, yourself, but, right? <laughs> Yeah, and the, yeah, and and the exactly, uh, and then the other the other one is just taking off, kind of the burden of the shoulders, and what is even bigger because the burden is usually you don't have employees and like the responsibility is usually uh, taking um, not not blown up so much, but it's just people get tired of again optimizing PPC after four years, right? So and even though you, what are we seeing sometimes the knowledge is really amazing and then know exactly what to do but many times also you just get a little bit reluctant and it's like okay I, I just like the motivation is not there anymore it's just always the same um and uh, yeah that's where we have our, our structure for um to, to optimize that with people that are passionate about exactly that and uh, trying to optimize it to to the to the next level so so i think it's both right so this this relief getting cash and doing something new and at the same time kind of releasing this every day the same and, and, and burden so i think we, we see both uh, both elements yeah nice nice and on the subject of an exit how do you go about the valuation what what goes into the valuation um what do you compare it to it'd be really interesting to to hear more about that yeah so um the valuation typically um is a multiple over the performance of the last 12 months um profit and so basically um, what we what we're usually taking it's called SDE is the seller's discretionary earnings. It's basically your um, your bottom line, and then adding back whatever you take out of the business. Um, so what's your what's your profit, and then if uh, if if you didn't take out a salary or or whatever, so what what that earning uh, would be, and then uh, a multiple on, on on top of that. Now. And then, and then in the industry, usually it's priced uh, as a multiple on that plus your inventory that you have on, on hand. Um, if you look at in traditional transaction like private equity, usually the inventory is included in the multiple, but here it is the multiple and then plus, plus the inventory. Um, and then basically the big question is about, you know, how, how high should that multiple be? And then this is really um, depending on, on the asset, obviously. 
um, what we are looking at is uh, one is the margin profile, kind of what's your um, your, your your contribution margin um, that that you're bringing in, right? Um, so the twenty percent, twenty five percent, thirty percent. So that that margin profile um, is is very important. Uh, and then the second thing is obviously the growth profile. So how how much is your organic growth right now without all of the improvements that are that are going to happen? So because as growth plus the margin profile is obviously a good indicator for for for, for future uh, for future profits. So that's basically what goes into it. And um, then you have the whole spectrum of of, of multiples uh, connected to that. Um, then obviously all other factors. Um, you know, the, and again the most important thing that we are focusing on is uh, great products with great reviews and uh, because we want things that are sustainable. So we want evergreen consumer consumer goods that are gonna be bought in five to 10 years as well. So so really we're not looking to make the quick buck and also we're not looking to sell businesses afterwards. If, if we sell a business, it, it failed, right? So we want to develop brands um, and develop them also outside so of, of Amazon on their own platform. So it's all about, uh, all about the products. So if you're very excited about it, if that product has something unique, um, you know that differentiates, and some even have a patent or something like it's not the majority; it's very, very few. But you know where you made some effort and had like some improved variant that is not just kind of the standard product. All of that we we, we like, um, and uh, and yeah. But even if things are not there, then it's improvement potential, <laughs> right? So then uh, you don't need to be the category leader. You don't need to be the absolute review leader. You don't need to you know have the best content because that's where we can step in, right? And then uh, if if it's a perfectly optimized uh, asset, um, you know, then what 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 can we do? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. we we obviously also love uh, assets where we we can see the the value that we can contribute uh, contribute to to the to the seller quickly, uh, and show um, success and drive drive value very quickly as well. So it's it's a mix of of, of both. Um, yeah, you know, uh, doing things well already and also leaving room for improvement. And uh, yeah, that's that's a very individual approach. So, so you talked about the growth margin there. Um, it's quite relevant to what we do. Obviously, we help sellers with our working capital product to receive capital, which is typically quite difficult to do in the Amazon side, and then grow their business. If somebody was to, say, have a product that was a strong product, but they just hadn't had that external investment into it and that external finance into it, would, say, employing that for a year to see that growth and to prove to you guys that the business will grow, be beneficial to the final exit that the seller might have with you guys yeah for sure um obviously the, you know if, if you if you look at the logic that i just described and um kind of the, the absolute profit that you did over the last 12 months is now bigger due to your ability to sell more um because you, you got to work capital loan or something and invest it um you know in better product availability and as a consequence have a, have a higher profit over the last 12 months then that multiple that we're going to negotiate will be over a higher base, right? So yeah. um, that base will, will be will be continued. Um, so so definitely that's uh, that's that's something that will increase your increase your valuation. And that's yes. also something um, that you know if if uh, sellers do not have uh, working capital loans um, uh, that that uh, for example you provide provide that's something where you know we we step also and we have the capital yeah. the first thing we do is we yeah. buy the you know we we we, make, we secure the working capital coverage that you need to avoid stockouts um because that's the first thing that, that you need to fix uh stockout is the most expensive thing that you can have um it's not very visible because sales just goes down and you know 
next next chapter, but that's actually actually where where you leave uh, yeah. most money uh, on the table usually. Yeah, I mean. The, the differences are, are probably quite large between the amount of capital that, that we can give to an individual seller compared to what you can really push into that seller if you see the opportunity, right? So so they can both work in tandem. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure, for sure. And and um, also if, if seller, sellers have leverage, if they if they have a working capital loan or anything, that's something that we also, uh, you know, taken take over or, you know, we, we deducted from, from the purchase price. So it's not operational, it's not a problem at all. Um, many many sellers that we have acquired have leverage, and it could be even bank debt. Um, and and we're 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 taking we're taking care of that. So operationally, that is that is not a um, not an issue. Interesting. Um, and on the subject of the actual sale itself, what are the key things that a seller really needs to sort out before they approach you, or or goes about going selling the business? Is there anything that they need to start thinking about? Yeah, I think there are maybe just two dimensions to it. One is kind of the the business itself and the, and the drivers, and the second thing is kind of the technical aspects of you know having the numbers ready and and, and stuff like that. So um, on on the first one, I think you know it would be would be good to reflect where where you are kind of on the growth curve, and you know um, usually what we what we see. In, in the US is something maybe like, you know, the first year 150,000 sales, second year 300, 350, third year maybe 600, fourth you go to a million and then maybe there's, uh, depending on the category, uh, you go to 2 million and then you kind of flatten out or a few sellers manage to, to, to break through. Um, that's kind of the US and Europe obviously it's smaller because the markets are smaller so that curve is like this little S curve um, has different dimensions. And I think it's interesting to see where you are on that curve and are you, um, you know, are you, are you, because also for 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 us as a, as a buyer, we need we need to see growth still, right? So you don't want to be on the peak 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 where your asset is kind of ah now it's actually going downwards. That is not the ideal time to to sell. So you want to be close to the peak, but you you need to credibly show uh, also hey there's organic growth in in this. Um, so because once you're on the peak, then after that is only going down, and that is not a spot where you want to be um, when you show year over year decline. Um, I'm not talking about COVID right now. Many people see year-over-year decline in April and May because they just had crazy spikes. But like uh, normalizing for that, if you have a declining business, it's 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 difficult, right? So you wanna you really wanna show uh, growth that's valued a lot by 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 us, by us, and then you need to see kind of how to optimize that. And don't over-optimize because then after that it could be that you're flat, and then it's not so interesting anymore. I think that's really important to to to, to see where you are on on, on that uh, um, on on that scale, and then. The other one is kind of operationally um, for yourself. It's like you know, at a, at a certain scale, if you reach two million, three million in sales, um, we see it's going to be tough without professional support. Um, you know, and then to to hire those people yourself and put them on your payroll and having that responsibility versus it's part of our structure and um, you know the overhead is obviously we have the experts for each of the functions, but then they're kind of uh, divided by uh, you know a high big amount of sales. That's probably also a way where you think, okay, before doing that step, you know, maybe that's that's a good moment to to sell um, because otherwise your business might not get uh, that manageable anymore, and you're losing uh, efficiency. Um, and uh, and yeah, the other the other the third one I would say is just your motivation. Like, you know, how how excited are you <laughs> about <laughs> doing what you're doing every day here? And uh, is it more worries or is it more uh, fun? And everyone knows who started a business to spark, right? When you listed the first product did the first sale and all of that that kind of uh, wears off over over time 
and uh, but sometimes you're kind of you know for maybe selling products that are your hobby and sometimes it was opportunistic and you know uh, you just got tired so that's i think your, your personal motivation is super important in, in this one as well and then uh, we get to the technical part is just have your numbers ready um, but it's nothing nothing crazy right it's basically uh, seller central has all of the numbers that we need uh, you know or shopify access or, or ebay so that is basically the, the the main numbers that we need and if you have an accountant um, that helps as well um, so and then, and then we figure out the rest. So um, not, not a lot of preparation. Uh, it's very standardized. That's the good thing um, about the channels that, that, uh, that we are selling in or that the sellers are selling in usually. Yeah, yeah. And you spoke about the people who are actually selling their business. Um, it would be really just interesting to learn about who they are. You've obviously mentioned a lot of them. It's their first business, their first time doing business. Maybe yeah. who they are, what, what their journey typically looks like and maybe how many years they've been doing it it'd be really interesting for the listeners to probably hear about that yeah. and compare their stories stories to their own stories yeah and it's it's pretty crazy <laughs> to be honest <laughs> uh, i couldn't i couldn't tell you there's like a one certain target group it's like literally the first um the first asset that we bought the first seller was an art student um 30 years started selling art supplies, uh, you know, that, uh, that he also used for, for painting and stuff. And he started five years ago, um, you know, and, and, and sold to us. So he managed the business with two virtual assistants, uh, one in Costa Rica, one in Ukraine. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's it. Um, another, just uh, the second seller that we bought um, uh, is actually uh, um, a couple that are about to retire. So, you know, they started, <laughs> so there, there was a, a, like a sales manager for, for trucks, I think for 20 years and his wife started the business until like he said, you know what, you're making more money than I, and then he helped her run the business mm -hmm. and uh, the two of them uh, um, doing that. Um, and they are gonna retire now um, after, after they sold to us. Um, the third business that we bought is, uh, was one of the top 40 sellers in Germany um, with 28 employees. Um, so completely different setup, right? So with their own logistics, own warehouse, own fulfillment, and, you know, really 28 people that, that, we, that we took over. Um, super, super interesting. Um, uh, like two co-founders um, that started that, yeah, after the first job, basically. Uh, and yeah, so we have... The, the craziest uh, you know stories uh, behind also uh, like a like a mom with the um, with with basically I think um, uh, like how do you say it if, if, if the mom is raising a kid alone that then said like look the most important thing is here for the baby to sleep so there's baby products that she started selling online and managing the whole business by herself completely crazy um, so you see really it's a huge multitude of of different stories and and that's what I also really enjoy like really. It's the first thing in a call. Like, I want to hear your story. I want to see how everything. Mm -hmm. I want to hear how it started. How you got where you know where you get to, and you learn so much just by listening to the story. Like, what the shape of the business is in. What kind of you can imagine what what already happened. So, um, yeah, it's very very difficult to to drill it to drill it down to you know one stereotype. It's 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 very diverse, and uh, yeah, that's what what we also love about it. Yeah, and I think that from my own work at Payoneer, we obviously help manage the payments for these sellers, but. It's crazy when you you see some of the numbers some of them do in there. They just set up five years ago, maybe, but it's scaled crazily, and they've really been able to push the business. So, so yeah, I find it such an interesting space, and and yeah, ultimately you must feel good about yourself because you're making the millionaires, right? <laughs> so yep. it's quite a nice thing to be doing. 
Of course, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an amazing it's an amazing mission. And look, I've um, I've been in the situation also being the seller in, in in Brazil, and then you know building all of that. I thought, okay, how do I get out of it? <laughs> you know, there is not really a way out. I didn't really think that I can I can sell it in that trend. It was just too early for that. Um, and then you're kind of in this machine, and you know you're you're. It's also a little bit of freedom, you know. Uh, it's not only the money; it's also the, you know now you're free to do something else because who who is going to take that over from you, right? So, mm. um, so I think that's it's it's a great it's a great option to 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 exit and just do something else. Uh, people also yeah. change jobs, right? Every three to five years, maybe, um, you know, <laughs> change companies and change jobs, and I think that's something 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 natural. So, and. Uh, yeah, making making um, those sellers uh, millionaires. It's very re rewarding, also to see. It's really, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. How how old typically are these businesses? Is there is it a complete range, or is there normally a set time that they've been running? Sorry, say that again, please. How old typically are these businesses? How old? Okay. Yeah. So, um, I mean, usually we we don't buy businesses that are younger than uh, twelve months because you just need. More, more tracking. Um, yeah. Uh, on, on average, I would say around three to four years. Um, that's I think the average that we've seen goes back until six, seven years, uh, which is kind of almost the first wave <laughs> or the big yeah. first wave. Um, and then uh, and then others that started two years ago. That's kind of like I, th I would say the average is around three to four years. Yeah, it's a good return on your investment if you were a seller that's been doing it for three or four years and. You get a nice seven-figure payout for your time. <laughs> definitely, um, definitely. Yeah. Also, it was the time where launching products was a little bit easier as well, right? So it was less less competition uh, in certain niches. You listed your product, you were number one. You were able to build that review mode, and now you're there, right? So yeah. Uh, and and what we've also seen with a few sellers is that they they think this is still working for you know the next product launches without really analyzing the niches uh, there are still niches where this is possible that are not that competitive but uh, a lot of kind of money being bound uh, or working capital being bound is in new product launches that are not successful as successful as the first ones were um, because the, they, they the assumption is basically just launching more products they will be as successful as the first ones but now Three years later, things have shifted a little bit, and you can still pull it off, but in only in certain niches, right? So, uh, and then once you invest in all of those, then you don't have the capital to replenish your best sellers, and then you have stockouts and, and stuff like that. So, so that's I, I think also a trap that you need to be very careful with and, and try to try to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you manage product development for these businesses that you may have taken over, who may have had ten products? Uh, you say you want to hold on to them for. The next or for forever ideally yeah. how do you then develop the, their product line and, and really push it forward yeah so i think in, in terms of product development there's we differentiate in two ways one is launching variants and the other one is launching completely new products um variants is a no-brainer right so whatever variant makes sense in different color different size uh, as i said before it's just a conversion driver and gives you more tools to defend your listings and uh or, attack other listings on, on the platform. So it's it's one super important tool. It's kind of a must have. Um, and because then as a variant is obviously enjoying the, the review mode um, that your, your, your parent product yeah. has. Um, new product launches is we, have, we you know, we also need to renovate uh, and innovate uh, 
all the time on, on Amazon. If, if you stop uh, launching entirely, it's like, you know, those, not all of the products are forever. So something that we're looking into for sure, especially if the seller already did quite some work, already has a pipeline for ready to launch, then we just quickly analyze and, and then launch the product. Um, and then obviously in, in general, then we, we think also on a more broad perspective now, okay, what are the sellers that we have in which category? What are kind of certain products that maybe those sellers don't have? Um, and, then, and then think about launching, launching those products um, to, to be more relevant in a, in a certain niche. Um, on, on Amazon, um, you know, that is obviously important to, to kind of have a, a relevant portfolio for your customer, but this gets even more important off Amazon, right? So once, and I mean, we're we're starting to do that, right? Launching shops and combining um, kind of sellers on certain platforms. Once you are outside of Amazon, then if you don't have that product, there's an alternative from a competitor, right? So you really have a, a, a worse uh, customer proposition for the end consumer buying on your on your on your on your on your platform, right? So that's where selection again drives conversion, and this flywheel effect is so important. So I think um, product launching will be very important uh, once. Uh, a big part of uh, of our process also on, on the outside platforms yeah. to really complete the portfolio and, and attack the whole niche that you might not have done because there's a very strong competitor on Amazon. But now outside of Amazon, it makes complete sense to have that product in your portfolio. Yeah, yeah. So going back to the the sellers that you're who who might be looking to sell, um, where are you actually getting sellers from? Where are you buying European sellers, US sellers, um, or is it just completely global? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, we're, fo we're focusing mainly on the US and Europe, but we want to be where Amazon is, right? So um, there are uh, not daily launches of new countries, but it almost feels like it. Obviously, India um, launched FBA last year, um, you know, Poland and, and Sweden uh, got, got in. Um, Latin America um, is definitely something that uh, is going to be rolled out. Also, FBA, I think, was launched last month or this month. Um, you know, so we, we definitely have a global approach um, and um, in terms of target markets and, uh, you know, where the sellers are from, that is a completely different story as well, because you would imagine that the category leader in the US uh, is from the US is not necessarily the case. So many times they're sitting in completely other regions, including Bali <laughs> <laughs> uh, and managing their business from there. Um, so, so, so yeah, we, we have a completely global approach, but our, our focus is, uh, yeah, US and, and Europe, um, with the majority of our acquisitions right now. Okay. And as a seller is now the best time to sell a business. There's obviously a huge focus on it at the moment. Um, what does the actual market look like in that regard? If that's not too cheeky to ask. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a great moment. Um, but it depends a little bit how you're performing right now. Um, because obviously as I said, you, you kind of had the, the lockdown situation uh, in, in March, April last year, and um, you know different different categories have been affected differently, right? Some really saw a huge bump. The other ones, uh, depending on the product that you're selling, kind of saw a decrease in, in sales. Um, so, and you know, as we progressed over the year, as we always kind of look back 12 months. Uh, as a basis for the evaluation of the of the multiple to apply on your, on your profit line, obviously it was good to to wait the longest until we reached March, which uh, you had kind of twelve months of full COVID effect in your in the numbers. So that's great to to boost the basis, and then the multiple would apply on, on top of that. 
now, obviously, um, you know, as April is in the books and now May will be in the books, we see a few, a few companies that were on a trend, an upper trending line, but now see a year over year decline because it was just a crazy peak where they doubled or tripled sales last, last year. That is obviously, they're not able to repeat again. It was just an outlier. So we need to kind of see if you fall into that category. And if you're talking to a buyer uh, like us that says, okay, that's a dip. Uh, but in general, you have a good business and we, we see how this can, can grow uh, and kind of looks at the, the long-term potential. So um, I think it is, it is definitely a good, uh, a good moment. The market is competitive. I think multiples are, are fair. Um, so I think it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely, definitely a good moment. And also looking at what Amazon is doing <laughs> with the kind of inventory restrictions getting tighter and tighter and uh, you know, all, of, all of that happening, um, again, burden and, <laughs> and passing on the responsibility is, uh, is you know, I think is, is something, it's, it's, a, it's just a great exit right now for, for Salomon. Yeah. And, and are you going to be acquiring people for the next few years or, or forever? Or would you then, or at some point, will you flip it and just start managing these brands that you have, if that makes sense? Yeah. So I think as, as long as we find attractive assets to buy, we will buy attractive assets. So I think um, that's, that's, I think, the, the default. Um, naturally, as we as we grow um, and other channels as well and product launches are, are, are getting more important to complete the portfolio and owning the customer and really building brands, then there will be also a shift to at some point launch more products and launch maybe also brands in the future rather than just acquiring uh, companies. And we could also acquire brands, right? So um, so that's, that's I think it will always be, be a mix and um, and if you look also at the growth rates of how many sellers are coming into Amazon every day right now, um, there will be a good good supply, um, you know, growing over the next one two years to to assure that in three years from now there's uh, there's still hundreds and thousands of of good of good uh, companies to to acquire. So I don't think this will this will stop anytime soon. Cool. And and just lastly, the last question: What's the future of Seller X? Where do you envisage you guys being in? two, five, 10, 15 years time. Yeah, well, 15 years is a long time. <laughs> uh, five <laughs> is already <laughs> fair, fair, fairly long. But so what we envision, so what, what do we mean when we when we say we want to have a, a global portfolio of direct-to-consumer brands is basically um, direct-to-consumer has a, has a usually a very customer-focused approach. So we want to be where the consumer is. So that means um, it, as, a, as a default, we want to have our products in all regions and all channels, right? So. Uh, wherever the consumer is, uh, has access uh, to purchase our, our brands and, and our products. Um, and, you know, that is, that is the, the first thing that we need to build, like really strong fundamentals, integrated systems to make that work, to automize that and, and make, make it seamless. Um, and, and building all of that operational excellence backbone that Amazon is taking care of, of uh, for you at, uh, at, at fulfillment by Amazon. So, but by then, I think we have a very broad, uh, very global structure to be able to offer that. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully, I always hear that. Uh, actually, a friend of mine said that in, by 2040, we will have a 90% e-commerce penetration. I always laughed about it. But now looking after what happened in Corona, it's like, mm, you know, 19 years, I think we might got to get there. Um, and that means that, you know, lots of our products uh, will be in, in people's lives, in their homes. And um, 
and you know, I think with a very consistent brands with great qualities, telling great brand stories, and that's kind of where where we see ourselves, kind of this direct consumer conglomerate um, being available to everyone that that wants to acquire us where, wherever they are. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting space, and it's only just begun, so it'd be interesting to see how it all unravels and where it ends up but yeah if you're going to compare it to existing direct-to-consumer brands or brands that are sold in retail and supermarkets um, they are all owned by these conglomerates so you could imagine it to be something quite similar in the online space potentially exactly yeah and um, also you know online channel means all of the channels including uh, offline right so um, i can totally see our products in uh, supermarket chains and drug drugstore chains etc so um, you know, it's got to be very, very holistic, holistic approach. And uh, with the size, then you have also, I think, the, the power in the market, um, you know, to place your products at the, at the right spaces. Yeah, 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 yeah it'd be a good, a good thing to, to keep track of for sure. Um, so just before we wrap up, is there anything you want to leave our, sell- our clients with, our sellers with, our, our community with? Um, of course, yeah. of course. A few, a few things. Number one, <laughs> uh, we, are, we are hiring and we need the best talent, right, uh, to help build uh, Seller X in the machine. So uh, if, if you probably are busy with your, with your business, um, but uh, know people that uh, could be interested in all of the functions from investment side to operation side. So happy to uh, always receive great talent and, and see if there is a potential fit. So that's number one, we're hiring. Number two is obviously um, if, you, if you think about selling your business, um, I would I would just ask you to reach out. Um, I hope in in this podcast I could also convey um, that we are pretty relaxed people. Um, so we are not kind of hard selling. We're not pressuring you. Uh, we really focus on the seller experience, and that means also you know um, educating or, or informing and training um, sellers on the different stages that have never really thought about um, you know selling. Then you know we can get you up to speed or you're ready to sell and you have an offer and you just you know, want to see if that's a good one and, 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 and we put one in as well. So um, I would just say, reach out. We have a, a, a very big um, an investment team of uh, uh, 40 people you know, that, that are ready um, you know, to, to receive your calls and explain everything. So um, I, would, I would love to, uh, you to get in touch. And uh, so we start the relationship and, uh, and see what, what might work individually and tailored for you. And as an entrepreneur, what would you leave our sellers with? As an entrepreneur, um, well, um, that's a that's a very good question because as an entrepreneur or as a seller, um, that's I think two different, a little bit two different things. Because as a seller, many don't have all of the resources. But as an entrepreneur, is choose very well who you're working with. It's all about the team. It's, if it's not your team that you're hiring, it's about your partners that you're partnering with. So. Um, I think that's that for me uh, is has has been in, in history always either the best decisions or the worst decisions that I made were uh, connected with with hiring and fixing those if you need to fix them takes a lot of time um, to kind of kind of revert them so really invest in the right team uh, and um, you know because then winning together is, is easier no one is perfect but the, the time can team can be so um so really extra extra care on on hiring and uh, surrounding yourself with the right people perfect thanks for your time Walter that was great advice and a great conversation if anyone 
has any questions whatsoever, then feel free to reach out to myself or Malta. Um, and we will leave our contact information, how you can get a, get hold of both companies in the description and everything like that. So, so yeah, we'll be speaking to you next time. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Stan. And uh, thanks for having me. And thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.